All of our files are free and will remain free. If you like the show, you can show support by donating $1 to help with expenses. Just use the PayPal link on our website, YouTube channel, or Facebook page. Thanks. And welcome back to the second part of this incredibly interesting discussion we have today with Wall Thornhill of the Electrical Universe Theory. Um, now, in this second part, we've agreed to, I mean, we've seen a little, we just scratched the surface, obviously, about the nature of the Electrical Universe Theory. But you yeah. you touch a lot of uh, essential and interesting um, aspects of it. Now I want us to in part two mm-hmm. see a little. You know, you could have the question: a naive person could say, "Well, if you're onto it, why isn't this accepted? Why isn't this taught everywhere?" Especially oh. <laughs> in, uh, since you assert that this is fact-based and. Uh, can be verified rather mm. than falsified, etc. So what's the problem here? It comes down to human behavior. We're not very well adapted to do science. And um, there was a book published, I think, about 1850 by a fellow called Charles McKay called Extraordinary Delusions and the Madness of Crowds. And in that, he points out some of the strange delusions that have uh, gripped the globe Uh, in the past, and uh, one of them being the uh, tulip incident where tulips, uh, you could be only be bought if you could um, sort of mortgage your house uh, <laughs> for a single tulip. Okay. It was a kind of madness that gripped uh, people. That became currency? Yeah, they became currency. Yeah. Jeez, wow. Uh, back at some period uh, in the 1800s, I think. Sounds like a conspiracy launched by the tulips growers. Yes. <laughs> But in the in the book, he gives a number of examples. Uh-huh. And uh, he points out that um, in those cases, people come to their senses only slowly and one by one. And this is what I've uh, discovered with uh, presenting the Electric Universe. It is such a radical change, although uh, it, the uh, classical scientists of the 19th century would have taken to it, I'm sure, uh, readily, because uh, this is an extension of their work, if you like. Mm. But today we have a real problem, uh, and that is that scientists are taught so narrowly Uh, this idea of specialization actually works against them. It works against us uh, in trying to advance science. I experienced it when I was at, uh, working at the Australian National University, where even in uh, inside one department, many of these professors and scientists in that department had to have explained to them what their neighbor was doing down the corridor. Uh, so I would go to their meetings, and uh, because of this uh, disconnect, uh, the scientists, when they were discussing their work, had to explain to to this specialized audience what they were doing, even though they're in the same discipline. <laughs> right. So there's a disconnect, uh, and this means that science is fragmented. And when you have a problem that you think somebody in another specialty can answer, you have to take their answer and accept it because uh, you have no means of um, distinguishing whether it makes sense or not mm. uh, quite often. 
and uh, this slows down progress enormously. So ever since um, Einstein and uh, Niels Bohr uh, destroyed physics and began doing mathematics, we then had the first, well, that was, you know, about the time of the First World War. And part of the work that I began after reading Emanuel Velikovsky's Worlds in Collision, he was a trained psychoanalyst, a medical doctor, if you like, uh, and also uh, provided some breakthrough ideas in that subject. Mm. But he was really one of the original classical scholars. So he had a grasp of ancient history and uh, uh, all of the sciences and so on. And as a result, his book deals with all of these issues. He wrote Earth in Upheaval from the geological aspect. He wrote Ages in Chaos from the historical aspect. And one of his final books was called Mankind in Amnesia, which deals with the problems of humankind uh, from the point of view of a revised catastrophic history. Mm. And it seems we're dogged by memories of the past which are subconscious almost, but they keep rising to the surface. So, so we have collective PTSD. Exactly, exactly. And we don't recognize it. And this is why we have these cycles of uh, prosperity. And then as one uh, other scholar from the 1800s pointed out, uh, we have this cycle where those in power find that they can uh, raid the public purse and it finally all f falls apart in decays into uh, nonsense and chaos. And then you have a dictatorship or some form of control which then uh, degenerates into battles and you know mm. civil uprisings and uh, wars. And then after it's all over, people rejoice in the streets as if there's been some kind of catharsis. You've repeated, <laughs> you've repeated the past. Mm. And of course, the ancient, all the uh, ancient stories about um, prophecies, prophecy, a, an eventual catastrophe. Mm. And this is just a repeat of mankind's early experiences, which have been suppressed. And Velikovsky said, unless we understand our past, we're doomed to keep repeating it. And he said the worry these days is that when we have these outbreaks of insanity, of war, uh, we now have the ability to wreak this, the kind of destruction that the ancient catastrophes, the gods of the sky, the gods of the past, the planetary gods, mm. visited on us, that is, with nuclear weapons. And, of course, when Velikovsky wrote the book, uh, the nuclear standoff was um, uh, top of people's minds. And you'll notice that... Uh, wait, wait a minute. Didn't Wasn't he active in the late 1800s? Uh, no. Uh, Einst, uh, Velikovsky was born in 1895. Oh, so he uh, was a contemporary with, with uh, all the big ones. With these people, yes. That's oh, right. I thought he... In fact, uh, he was actually on friendly terms with Einstein, who lived not far away in Princeton. And before Einstein died, relatively young, I should say, um he was reading Velikovsky's work and also uh, had a proposal to have Velikovsky's, one of his predictions, uh, tested, and that was to look for radio noises from Jupiter. Wow. In those days, they thought it was a cold ice giant, you know, um, yeah. gaseous body, and they had no reason to expect radio waves, and yet it's the second most powerful radio source in the solar system after the sun. 
So uh, this is typical of uh, the kind of predictions that uh, Velikovsky was able to make based on his reconstruction. But, but that means that he was a contemporary with people like Keeley, Reich, Tesla. Yes. Do you know if, he, if, if any of those people were interacting or no, uh, looking at his theories? No, I don't, not that I know of. Uh, okay. The people who became interested in his theories sort of clubbed together against the onslaught from <laughs> uh, the establishment yeah. and, uh, and kept his ideas alive. And this is how I came across the uh, David Talbot and uh, the people in Portland, Oregon, who published a university paper called Ponce back in the early 70s. Uh, I think about started about 1972 and it culminated in 1974 with the International Velikovskian Conference on the recent history of the solar system. Hmm. Um, but uh, as I said, this classical approach of broad spectrum of training is essential, in my opinion, to do science. Yeah. Uh, Specialization is great if you're an engineer who's been given the uh, the science and the physics and then you can go away and do the mathematics applied to these uh, ideas and theories. But um, the person who's got to come up with the ideas uh, needs to be a broad scholar. Yeah. And that we've lost, we've lost, that's, it just gets worse and worse and worse. It's, it's getting worse and worse. Mm. And this is typical, of course, of human behavior, particularly of men. They form clubs, mm. and uh, so they form societies, and uh, and then they start when they begin publishing. Initially, the publications are wide ranging, and people can get stuff published without being censored. But after a while, it doesn't take long, and I noticed this with the computer societies when I was got into computing it was in the very early days. Mm -hmm. And if you found a clever way of doing something, you could publish the uh, algorithms and so on, no trouble at all. Mm. And then in came the mathematicians, and all of a sudden you had papers which no one could understand because they'd gone off into <laughs> esoterics, yeah. which sometimes is useful, but uh, generally the people who were doing the engineering work on the ground uh, ignored it mm. because it was no relevance to them. Because they have to relate to actual facts, right? They have to get make tangible things, stuff. They have to make things work, and I was yeah. one of the ones who had to make things work. Right, And my training in computing was uh, privileged because I was in in the very early days and I got to learn everything from the hardware, the electronics, right up through compilers and um, operating systems, the works, mm. which was wonderful. Uh, so I had a happy working life, but I kept out of academia and did that, the research on the side. And one of the things I found the most difficult to do was to drop there's things I'd been taught because uh, you're suddenly faced with this problem of being an outcast, you know. Mm. <laughs> How can I tell people that Einstein got it wrong and, and not appear to be completely out of my tree? Well, uh, the answer is that when you look at the dissident scientists, there's a huge number of them out there, but you don't hear about them because their work is censored. Yeah, they don't have access to, to those who control the tools of power, keep them out. Yes. And for all we know, 
And if, if you value your, I mean, you were lucky and were outside of academia, but if you value your career, you better be in lockstep. So right. we don't know if the majority actually may be dissidents. We can't know that. <laughs> I'm not saying everybody is subscribing to one and the same rebel approach, but yeah. there may be scattered uh, dissidents all over the place yeah. and, and there's no way to pick that up. Yeah, there is a, a, a chap, a scientist in uh, France, Jean de Clément, who's published a um, compendium of all the dissident scientists that he could find and uh, a brief synopsis of what they've got to say. And it runs for well over a thousand pages. And that's those who were willing to be on, on the book. Yes, yes. Mm. Um, Because most of them are probably rather silent or only talk uh, off record, you know. Uh, there are, I know of uh, quite a few scientists who uh, support our work but uh, can't do anything. They can't right. come out, so to speak. Uh, <laughs> it, I mean, this is not the way science is supposed to be done. It's supposed no, to but be it's a brilliant recipe for a Vatican, for a yeah, yeah. Catholic organization. Well, of course, the Catholic organization uh, <laughs> endorse the Big Bang Theory. Why wouldn't they? It's religion. <laughs> <laughs> You're right, in right. Fact, in fact, it was a Belgian priest who uh, came up with the idea of the Big Bang. Ah, <laughs> interesting. Uh, yeah, anyway, uh, that's the other aspect is human behavior. And uh, it's my opinion that scientists should be taught human psychology. It should be a necessary Uh, subject to get their degree because um, there is a uh, fellow who's achieved quite a deal of um, uh, fame or notoriety in England uh, recently has studied the behavior of learning and its relationship to the uh, dual nature of the brain the two hemispheres and he pointed out that um, the uh, study of left and right brain became sort of discredited when the new age uh, people took over. And mm. uh, and it, so it became a sort of a, a taboo topic for psychologists. <laughs> mm. But he did um, a meta-study of all of the research that had been done on uh, the divided brain and has published some books on it. And uh, I came across his work uh, just a couple of years ago and I wrote to him because I also s sent some papers which um, uh, supported his views, uh, research that had been done into the brain response to questions to physicists um, about mathematics and uh, so on. And it showed that one hemisphere lit up uh, preferentially in those people, the left hemisphere. And this psychologist pointed out that the left hemisphere is the survival hemisphere. It's the one that uh, responds in order to survive. So mm. what are we doing? We're training our scientists to always deflect questions, uh, technical questions, to the left hemisphere to do the, mechanic, the mechanical process of uh, mathematics. You know, you, mm. follow, you follow the rules. You know, mathematics is a set of rules like any game, like three-dimensional chess. So the ability to do mathematics has nothing necessarily to do with the invention of ideas as a physicist, mm. the inductive approach. Anyway, so his research pointed out that the way people are trained leads them to be functionally blind to alternatives. They actually can't see in what's in front of them. 
and uh, it, it's quite marked. It's a self self-censoring, self-filtering away everything that threats. Well, you're not even censoring the brain. The brain is doing it automatically because of the way you've been trained. Mm. Uh, you're actually blind to it, which is right. quite remarkable. So I don't get upset when uh, an expert tells me that I've, you know, I can't see what I'm doing when I know that he's the one who's got the, the uh, problem with seeing what's in front of him. Mm. It's just the way we're built. Uh, and our scientists should be aware of this. They should know their limitations. Instead of that, we get uh, people with more hubris than sense. Yeah, this is very apparent in the so-called soft sciences because those doesn't have to uh, touch base with reality. They can go off mm. on tangents and never come back. Yeah. But people believe that hard sciences is directly tied to fact-based circumstances. Yes. So how can this even creep into hard science? Well, the reason is that mathematicians, because they can uh, produce a so-called proof, which is watertight using the mathematical rules, that that can give them access to the secrets of the universe and the mind of God, mm. you know, for God's sake, okay. <laughs> uh, through their mathematics. What they don't understand is that unless they have physically defined every symbol, including the operators, in the their on that blackboard they have a, a habit of standing in front of to show their geniuses, uh, <laughs> they don't know what they're talking about. Mm. All they're doing is showing that they can do mathematics, and mm. even then they get it wrong because there is an Australian fellow, uh, Stephen Crothers, who's um, active in our group and speaks at our conferences and he's pointed out that even Einstein didn't understand his mathematics because uh, in his theory of gravitation, his general theory of relativity, there is a pseudo tensor and that pseudo tensor when it was first defined was pointed out is it is non-physical in other words it has no meaning physically mm. so <laughs> he said in other words that equation involves gobbledygook <laughs> Now, this is pretty serious. It is. Because, of course, that is one of the methods used by secret societies of maintaining their secrecy is to confuse people with uh, their insider knowledge, mm. you know, and you haven't got it, so mm. keep out. You don't know what you're talking about. Sectarian behavior. Uh, yes. Mm. It's in, where, in fact, the reverse is the case. They don't know what they're talking about because they haven't defined simple things like energy and mass, and they don't understand light. So when they talk about the speed of light, they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, all of these things are critical to doing science, and the classical physicists knew this, and they were very good experimenters, almost to a man. Today, the scientists sit in a hall of mirrors in front of computer screens, all reflecting the same... Uh, you know, when they say in computing, garbage in equals garbage out, yeah. that's exactly what you get. Mm. You put your preconceived ideas into your uh, algorithms and out comes uh, what you hope to see. So it's virtual reality. Mm. The other thing you'll notice is that universities these days have a media department so that uh, science is done by media release. And the any journalist who actually questions these media releases is suddenly out of a job. Because yeah. they're not they're not following the the party line. You see that especially in the in the climate change uh, phenomenon. Oh, exactly. If it's anthropogenic or not. <laughs> and, and, and that's another. Yeah. Yeah, you can understand that psychologically. That's the funny thing. 
in this PTSD, there is this uh, dreadful need to somehow revisit, but in a safe way, um, the p catastrophes of the past, which we thought was the end of the world. It was doomsday. Mm. Well, we've got to have our doomsday scenario always lurking in the background. So when I was growing up, we had the nuclear winter, and then we had... Um, uh, we had uh, an ice age was going to come that was back in the 80s or 90s mm -hmm. and then uh, we were going to have uh, an asteroid hit us or, or a comet yeah that's true and so we've got, had the space watch set up mm -hmm. and now we've got anthropogenic global warming well they've stopped talking about glo anthropogenic global warming and it's just become climate change, climate change yes. but the climate changes we have to get used to that mm. The only good thing that can come out of all of this is uh, maybe we might clean up our act a bit because we have a dreadful uh, nature which not only do we destroy each other on occasions, but we're happy to destroy the environment that yeah. we depend upon. Yeah, yeah. And the Electric Universe hopes to achieve that by pointing out that we are earthlings. We are connected to this planet in more ways than we know. Mm. And by saying that we can co colonize Mars and everything will be fine, <laughs> give up. Mm. You go to Mars, you'll become Martians, whatever they are, mm -hmm. uh, because all matter resonances invo are involved in biological systems. Uh, life will exist wherever it is possible to exist, given the right circumstances, but it may be quite different yeah. to what we uh, experience here on Earth right now. In fact, we know from the fossil record that before these catastrophes, quite different animals existed on the earth, mm. like the dinosaurs. The dinosaurs could not exist in today's conditions. No, the, the climate was completely different. Uh, the air, everything. They would not be able to lift themselves off the ground, and also the atmosphere had more oxygen in it in those days. Mm -hmm. and, and we, we even tied in consciousness the Schumann resonance, or whatever it's called, Schumann frequency seems to be... Yes. Connected. Yes, that's all but, part of biology. Mm. Yeah, but uh, then you go. Okay, so we can say I, I totally get what you're saying about understanding the motivation they have. It's not, uh, you know, mm. it's not evil. Uh, the conspiracy can often be uh, uh, subconscious, but that's not enough because then, you know, the naive people who who, who believe in scientism, you could call it, they would say, yeah, but. Yes. If this is true, then uh, what about they could just publish the studies and they could peer review it and then it would force a paradigm shift. You know, <laughs> this this romantic yeah. notion that when the new people come into the system, they will push out the old. So why don't you just yes. why don't you just peer review it and and then everything will take care of itself? What's the problem there? Well, the problem is you have no peers when you're doing the electric universe. <laughs> No, no one has been trained to think like this. Um, it requires a multidisciplinary, a real multidisciplinary approach to science, which is not taught in any university. They talk about interdisciplinary cooperation, but they really don't know the full extent of uh, what an interdisciplinary approach is because no one has ever considered the you know, life, the universe and everything as a fit place for a single study. <laughs> mm. Yeah, but but that's one thing. But what I was getting at was the tools of suppression. People don't see them. No, that's right. People think that science is like a democratic free for all. Yes. 
Uh, it's not at all. Um, in fact, the politics of uh, inside universities goes un, unreported generally. Mm. Uh, and I know a lot of people who've been damaged by the uh, nasty politics inside universities. So if you step out of line, uh, your life <laughs> isn't worth living in those uh, environments because it is very controlled. But but w what is the control mechanism? Obviously, it supports the status quo. Mm -hmm. But do you think it's more tied to ideology, or do you think it's more tied to uh, more practical interests like like power and money and oh yes, yes. God knows what military. Yeah, um, the people who are in science generally um, their ideas become them. If you know what I mean, yeah. their their ego, their ego is tied up with their ideas because as a scientist of course you'd like to be recognized for introducing something new some new idea and of course they offer prizes the nobel prize quite lucrative some of them mm -hmm. uh, for uh, you know managing to discover something so one of the uh, misguided uh, efforts in science is to invent a new particle or a new energy or this kind of thing that is diametrically opposed to the classical science approach, which was to simplify, reduce the number of particles that you need to explain something, reduce all of these imaginary forces. But people believe that uh, they don't understand that these things are imaginary. They People think that it's a matter of proof, it's a matter of tangible evidence that these things exist. But, but uh, you dispute oh. that. Well, the, you know, the difficulty is that in uh, the media, uh, a lot of so-called facts are not facts at all. Mm. They're, they're uh, merely hypotheses which are held by all of those around them and so they can write it down as a fact and not be uh, called to account f for doing so. Yeah, this is where uh, Sheldrake has uh, no. Uh, he smashed in the doors with the science delusion book. Yes, that's right. Yes. He shows that that the big dogmas of science <laughs> are actually hypotheses. Yes, yes, and a lot of them don't stand up to any um, rational uh, analysis anyway, mm. which is really sad when you think about it because uh, we're not training kids in school to look at alternatives and to decide which one uh, they favour before they're told what others believe. Yeah. And belief is a strong word in science. Uh, it's the underlying characteristic of it. And that's critical. Uh, uh, that's essential for critical thinking. If they don't learn that, they yes. won't become critical thinkers. Yes. I remember when I was in high school, in the final year or two, one of the subjects in English... Uh, was uh, critical thinking, mm. you know, clear thinking. And we were handed articles to read and we had to look at the types of arguments that were being used and uh, whether it, you know, stood up to Scrutiny. critical examination or whether it was full of holes. And I found that the most, one of the most interesting aspects of English was the use of words to convince somebody of something that just wasn't so. Yeah. In, and I think this has been, the, when I scan scientific literature, I'm looking for things that are wrong, either stated incorrectly or uh, using concepts that are no, nowhere defined. Mm. Um, and that narrows down my search for answers uh, considerably. Mm. <laughs>
but peer review certainly is, has turned into a censorship system. I got a, publish, a paper published on the electrical nature of supernova 1987A uh, and, um, and its relevance to the electrical nature of stars by the uh, IEEE journal on plasma science which is a well-respected and peer-reviewed uh, journal, mm -hmm. I would never have got that published in any astronomical journal mm -hmm. or astrophysics journal simply because the astrophysicists believe that electricity does nothing in space. So this gives you... So the pre hang on. So the preconceived notion makes them dismiss studies, yes. even if these studies can show that... Yes. Yeah, so, we can show experimentally that what we are uh, saying is correct. And this was borne out particularly by our own SAFIRE experiment, which is being done at arm's length from me. Uh, all I did was to provide... Yeah, talk about that. Ex explain what that is. Yeah. Um, a few years back, uh, I had an engineer from, Amer from Canada uh, ring me out of the blue, and he said... Um, uh, my very successful engineering business has gone bust due to the GFC. Uh, he said, uh, I'm sitting here uh, wondering what to do next. And he said, I came across your work. And he said, uh, your model of stars, he said, uh, I can see no disparities in it. And I, he said, that's a first in my experience. He said, usually when I'm presented with a problem in engineering, I can see some disparity in uh, what's being asked uh, what's being proposed, which would uh, defeat my any attempt at engineering it. So he said, um, is there anything I can do to help? And I said, it certainly sounds like it. So I put him in touch with our uh, management team in um, the US. And the result of that has been the uh, setup of a private experiment funded by benefactors who believe in what we're doing to the tune of several million dollars. And uh, we have produced uh, what you might call a star in a jar, although the jar is four feet in diameter and eight foot long and made of steel. And uh, the results that have been coming back have shown that we can reproduce the plasma conditions we see around the sun. Uh, we can explain the solar wind, uh, the uh, granulation appearance of the photosphere of the sun. And we're now investigating nuclear reactions uh, in the photosphere and wow. not in the, not in the center of the star. So, um, well, what about auroras? It, Can that be explained? Well, um, Christian Berkeland, who uh, was from Norway, mm -hmm. I believe, uh, was one of the leading scholars uh, that we point to as a precursor of the electric universe because he was the one who said that the space between us and the sun must be filled with charged particles. And that was uh, back in 1900, long before the space shots uh, surprised astronomers with the strength of the magnetic field up there and uh, there's ch charged particles whizzing around everywhere with the Van Allen belts. Uh, all of this was a total surprise to them, but uh, Birkeland, back in uh, his polar, his publications in the polar expedition and also his experiment, he did an electrical experiment called the Torella, or Little Earth, where he put a magnetized uh, metallic sphere inside a vacuum chamber and passed DC electricity through that vacuum 
and managed to produce in that little experiment, replicate the auroras. Uh, he was able to show uh, ring formations, equatorial ring formations like the rings of Saturn and the migration of discharges like the sunspots on the sun. Wow. When was this, you say? Uh, it was published in 1900. He's... Uh, His book. <laughs> that long ago. Yeah. So it's been a mystery for, for the, all this time for no reason at all. <laughs> yes, yes. We lo But of course, once again, politics and uh, the, yeah. um, what would you call it, parochialism in science, where the British dominated Western science. Um, uh, Sidney Chapman, I think it was, had uh, developed a theoretical explanation for charged particles uh, bumping around in, uh, and causing the auroras. It was a purely sort of um, electromechanical idea that the solar wind buffeted uh, the Earth's magnetosphere and the buffeting, the mechanical action, generated the auroras. But Birkeland already had twigged in 1900. And in fact, uh, Chapman was aware of Birkeland's stuff, but he just dismissed it because it wasn't invented here, so to speak, Jeez. Uh, it seems. But he was, So even chauvinism is a part of their bias. It's terrible. Yeah, terrible. Yeah. He, he was given the opportunity to witness uh, Birkeland's experiments, I believe. In fact, uh, there's a book um, by Lucy Jago. Uh, what's it called? Um, who documented Birkeland's um, problems. <laughs> Yeah, it's called The Northern Lights, How right. One Man Sacrificed Love, Happiness and Sanity to Unlock the Secrets of Space. <laughs> and uh, that's a book worth reading. And this, of course, is why Hans Elfain uh, pointed to the fact that uh, cosmologists should visit uh, Scandinavia to witness the aurora before they start making pronouncements. Well, you, you don't you have auroras down there too? Yes, we do. Uh, Tasmania sees more than we do. We're a bit further north. But on occasions... But it's the same principle, right? Same principle, yes. The, the electric currents always follow the magnetic field lines because that's called the force-free. Uh, there's no force acting on the particles to deflect them, so they'll follow the magnetic field lines. But, but why is it green in the north and pink in the south? It all depends on the level of the atmosphere and the uh, atomic species that are being excited. So there's uh, both the energetics of the aurora are involved and the atmosphere, mm. the particles in the atmosphere. Um, the motion of the aurora uh, you know, follows all the plasma physics rules, uh, but these are all a, a mystery to the... Um, Astrophysicists at the time it was all a a, um, a surprise, you know. Mm. What you see is perpetual surprises for astrophysics, um, and one of the reasons for that is that they treat plasma as a magnetized gas, which is incorrect. Mm. Now Hans Alfain did something unprecedented in his Nobel Prize lecture in 1970. He warned of a astrophysics crisis which must happen because astrophysicists had just chosen to adopt this magnetized gas idea of plasma and he said if you ignore the electric circuits in uh, plasma then you have missed the fundamental aspect of all of this activity in space mm. and of course they've continued to ignore it 
But to do such a thing, uh, to admit you made a mistake in a Nobel Prize acceptance speech is, uh, I think, unprecedented. But he was very concerned that uh, so much time and effort was being wasted and that a crisis would occur where they'd have to give up that model, the magnetohydrodynamic model of plasma. Hmm. I see. So, okay, but back to, to the problem of academia here. So there are you're calling it a censorship uh, machinery. But then the question is, who is in control? And how <laughs> can they maintain this control? What about the uh, uh, concept of uh, paradigm shift? Shouldn't that kick in? Uh, <laughs> the paradigm shift is a revolution. And the people who are in power will not uh, submit readily. It requires a revolution. Mm. So I realized that long ago. In fact, getting out of academia is one aspect of that. The other one was that I realized that I had to share my ideas freely and attract leaders in different fields because this is a multidisciplinary uh, approach. Uh, one person can't do all the work. I realized it was impossible. Mm. Uh, so I've always shared my ideas and, and uh, new insights as they occurred and they're still occurring now, which is wonderful. Mm. And people uh, who have an interest in some aspect of it, it can be geology, it can be uh, historical aspects, uh, sociology, human behavior, anything. Uh, anyone who has an interest in these things, I'm happy for them to uh, take the lead. Uh, in other words, um, if you lead, other people will be inspired to step forward and lead also and this is what's happened right you're deliberately trying to remove ego from the equation in order because yes. you, you see how that's ruining mainstream uh, absolutely yeah. and this is one of the pitfalls for uh independent scientists and i see it all the time they get very proprietorial mm. about their ideas and that stifles uh, any chance of collaborating with others and of course to be a leader you've got to stand up and say what you think and then convince others that uh, it's worth um, getting involved, uh, maybe taking up leadership in some form. So, so science has to be open source, basically. Yes, exactly. Um, so I'm not proprietorial at all about uh, these ideas. In fact, I've never felt really uh, threatened by somebody wanting to claim that they were the the originator of the idea because I realize that no one has covered the ground that I have. Hmm. Being the boundary writer of science means that I've <laughs> I've attempted to think about uh, the implications of this work in, in any field you like to mention. Hmm. And uh, that has been, I think, uh, a saving grace for me, uh, having made, had that realization and following that path has brought people, amazing people, forward to get involved and uh, we have one chap who's working on the electrical sculpting of planets uh, because part of the uh, reconstruction and Velikovsky's work showed that uh, thunderbolts of the gods meant something different from just plain old lightning. You can see the difference in the sculpting by um, early uh, sculptors of uh, Zeus and his thunderbolt. Mm -hmm. That thunderbolt looks nothing like the uh, the Shazam, you know, <laughs> the forked lightning. 
mm. picture that uh, people are fond of, um, it has a complex shape. And that complex shape is precisely the form that plasma takes when it is moving through space as a coherent object. And it's called a plasmoid. And uh, one of the my favorite representations is the Tibetan Dorje, their thunderbolt. Mm-hmm. So that's a thunderbolt. And you can see that it almost... It almost looks like it's uh, got a, a handle that you could hold. Yeah. And it, then it's got uh, two uh, often twisted um, ends. So it's symmetrical. Mm-hmm. And this is the form of the plasmoid. Uh, oh. And you'll see the Greek sculptors uh, also had that kind of football-shaped corkscrew uh, that he's hurling. Uh, they, the representations of what was seen in the sky are everywhere in our uh, buildings, our religious icons and um, paintings and all of this kind of thing. It's like the subconscious drives artists to represent the things, the archetypes. And this is something... Yeah, it's archetypal, yeah, right. Yeah, and this is something that Carl Jung picked up on. Now, he was a a great scientist too, Hmm. Uh, one who examined thousands of uh, mentally disturbed people where the psychosis often resulted in the archetypes surfacing. And uh, so towards the end of his life, he began painting himself what he had seen or uh, understood from these archetypes. And there they are. There's the imagery. (laughs) Mm. But he also pointed out that he began to realize that mankind is uh, is kind of slightly insane. The post-traumatic stress disorder makes people this way. Mm. And uh, it is destructive. And he said, mankind is his own worst enemy. Mm. And that is the message from Velikovsky as well, who came at it from a different angle, but was also trained in psychoanalysis. I can see, uh, yeah, I can see why you guys are emphasizing the catastrophism, because if... In Jung's uh, terminology, if we are mm-hmm. held in this PTSD, then the only cure is to face the shadow. And in order to face the shadow, we have to accept the trauma. Yes. And that's that's not possible. That's what they're trying to avoid with this uniformitarianism yeah. madness. Absolutely, yes. And the clockwork solar system and the Big Bang and everything is slow and billions of years ago. Mm. Anything bad that happened was a long time ago and far, yeah. far away. They go, they go is, back to sleep approach, you can call it. That's right. That is, <laughs> that is sheer nonsense. When you think about it, to say that Darwin's uh, theory of evolution works, it doesn't because in the fossil records, as it doesn't yeah it is sudden it is drastic whole species of animals uh, wiped out globally and then they're replaced with different ones which yeah. gives you also hope for the future and that means that uh, life exists in the universe to fit the um, environment that it finds itself in the information for the embryogenesis does not exist inside the cell the cell merely receives the instructions and away it goes and um the information is available throughout the universe for life. That that sounds like uh, that sounds like um, you know there were two people who actually launched these things, but for some reason, and I guess I understand that reason because uh, Darwin is more in line with the current status quo. But they went with Darwin. But Wallace, mm. Wallace sounds like he would have been uh, easier to 
uh, resonate with uh, electrical universe theory, his findings. Oh, there were plenty of scientists back in those days who would have resonated with it. Uh, the Frenchman Georges Cuvier said, if you go into the countryside with a, a spade and turn over the earth, what you will see is uh, evidence of paroxysms in the past, paroxysms of the earth. Mm. So he was a catastrophist in geology. And we, we have a uh, fellow now, uh, Andrew Hall, in the US, who will be speaking at our UK conference, by the way, um, who has almost an intuitive sense uh, with his training of uh, the effects of electronic, uh, sorry, electrical sculpting of surfaces with arcs and also with supersonic uh, blasts. I mean, the discharges between planets are something which is, is totally outside our experience. And yet the archetypes that we use in religion and so on are actually depicting what plasma looks like in space uh, during a, uh, an interplanetary discharge. It's quite amazing. <laughs> but, but what is plasma? Plasma, ah, yes. This is one of the stumbling blocks that we have with the electric universe, and that is that we don't have any day-to-day -day experience of plasma, which is separated charged particles moving uh, with respect to one another. Mm. We see it in lightning. Uh, it is, in, in effect, in a, a uh, flame because there's enough energy in the heat of the flame to dissociate uh, some of the um, atoms into electrons and ions, mm. which then radiate uh, on recombination to produce the light of the fire. Mm. Now, plasma is merely the case where there's sufficient energy to uh, strip an electron or two off the atoms that are in uh, usually in a gaseous state because as you increase the energy in a system, uh, first the liquids boil and become a gas and then the metals melt and then they boil and become a gas. That gas is made up of the free atoms and molecules from the material that's just evaporated. Mm -hmm. If you continue to apply more energy, then electrons become stripped from individual atoms and then you have what is a very thin gas if you like but it is composed of freely moving charged particles positive and negative and it responds very powerfully to electric and magnetic forces mm. and that is plasma so plasma behaves not as a magnetized gas but as um, the Particles moving in an electric discharge, for instance, like uh, a, an arc welding um, in lightning in the aurora, mm. where, the, where the gas becomes more or less dense, uh, the discharge changes from uh, an arc to a glow, and where it's less dense again, the um, electric current flows without actually giving any visible light, but producing radio waves. Mm -hmm. And so radio telescopes are very important in charting the directions of magnetic fields, which gives you the directions of electric currents in space near the sun. Mm -hmm. And of course, in recent years, uh, the scientists have been puzzled to find that nearby stars seem to be connected by these magnetic fields. Well, surprise, surprise, it's an electric universe and the uh, galaxy is driven by electric currents flowing between stars towards the center of the galaxy. But, but if, if the Doppler effect is rubbish, how can they know anything about distant stars? Ah, good question. 
the Doppler effect, Doppler effect isn't rubbish. I mean, that does work, but it's only in a very limited sense. Uh, and you can't assume that uh, the high redshifts that we see uh, from other galaxies or a blue shift in the case of Andromeda galaxy mm -hmm. has anything to do with uh, movement away from or towards us. Mm. Uh, and Halton Arp has proved that um, the bulk of the high redshift in um, quasars and so on is quantized and therefore due to the matter inside that object, not to uh, uh, its motion away from us. In the case of the Andromeda galaxy, of course, the uh, popular media story is that uh, Andromeda is blue shifted because it's coming towards us and in a few million years it'll uh, or some you know long period in the future will collide with uh, with Andromeda <laughs> well that's rubbish that, that's not is that possible in an electrical universe theory no 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 I thought that sounded fishy no in the electric universe as Helton Hart pointed out that um uh, celestial objects operate with repulsive gravity, so they avoid collision. Mm, and exactly. also, exactly. So it becomes a self-regulating um, yeah cosmos. Yeah. 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 Now, in the case of Andromeda, uh, the blue shift indicates that it is um, uh, older than us. We're more redshifted than it, so it is older. Mm. We're younger. Mm. And uh, that's all it indicates. It's not going to collide with us. Mm. Uh, in fact, our picture of the universe changes dramatically when you get rid of that concept that uh, redshift determines distance. Mm. And the thing that students are not taught, and they should be taught, is that Hubble said there were two options for his discovery of the redshift uh, distance relationship, and he, I think that's what he called it, a relationship. He didn't say it was meant anything. He said is either the universe is... Um, uh, much smaller, I think it was, than uh, anyone thought, or some new physics is involved. And to his dying day, he did not think the expanding universe was correct. He mm. thought that some new physics was involved. And of course, Helton Arp, one of his students, or one who worked with him, was the one who uncovered that fact that it involved new physics the notion that uh, protons and electrons can have varying mass during their lifetime depending upon their environment. The environment determines the mass of fundamental particles. Mm. But, but okay, so let's rewind this now to the human condition. So we have uh, a self-maintaining system of censorship, but, sure. but who are these people who are in control? I mean, they will die off sooner or later. How can this be, the dismissal be maintained uh, decades uh, after decades after decades? What, what's the particulars here? How does this work? Because most people aren't in academia. They don't see this invisible yes. power. Yes. My own view is that looking back at history, and of course, if you want to avoid repeating mistakes, you examine history closely, yeah, yeah. Uh, you realize that uh, Einstein's theory uh, came about at a time of turmoil, um, you know, the First World War, where the entire Western world went insane. I mean, the behavior is insane. There's no other word for it. Mm. 
Uh, it's like it's like we are perpetuating the trauma. We are to each other. Yes, mm. yes. It's a PTSD on a large scale, on a on a global scale. Mm. And, and let's um, make a, uh, let's make many unnecessary wars just in case some people are getting out of the trauma. Let's induce more trauma. <laughs> and if we are a collective, yes. if we are connected, then it doesn't matter that the wars are taking place in the Middle East or whatever, because they will have an effect on everyone. Yes, that's right. Yeah. But anyway, I'm, I digress. Continue. Yes. Um, yeah. <clears throat> well, one of the things that happens after this uh, cycle of madness is that you come at the other side feeling a kind of catharsis. Right. And uh, that's why people rejoiced in the streets and it, all that kind of thing. Mm. Well, the acceptance of Einstein's theory was uh, due to Eddington. Eddington was a Quaker and a conscientious objector. Of the, in the First World War and was um, a could have been a target for the white feather, as they called it, you know, people who were, uh, it was a symbol of cowardice. Mm. Now, Eddington, after the war, sort of had to reestablish his credibility, I think, and felt that he had to do that. Now, he was a mathematician. Uh, he was one who had the audacity to say that it shouldn't be too difficult to uh, work out something as simple as a star. Yeah, well, unfortunately, his simple idea of what a star is is incorrect, mm -hmm. and yet it still is the basis of modern stellar theory. Now, uh, he also was arrogant, uh, intellectually arrogant, and uh, was one who claimed that he was the only one, perhaps there was one other, but he didn't know who that was, uh, <laughs> who understood Einstein's theory. Well, anyone who claims to understand Einstein's theory of relativity <laughs> doesn't understand anything. Um, it's probably the most read theory and the, and the least understood of any in, <laughs> in right, history, right. Uh, simply because it doesn't make any sense. Uh, it's removed all uh, standards of uh, measurement and made every observer equivalent, which is nonsense. Anyway, so... And the... the the fact that Einstein was accepted was a kind of a rebound from the madness of uh, a war. And I'm a little worried that uh, the acceptance of a new, completely new idea uh, like ours, like the electric universe, uh, will require a revolution. And I'm just hoping it doesn't include war. Mm -hmm. But it requires uh, people looking for new answers. And, of course, there are many people now looking for new answers and are dismissing expert opinion simply because it's getting more and more outrageous. But, but this is happening more outside academia than inside? Oh, even inside now. Um, people are calling into question. So, so, so science is slowly opening up? That's what I said. Yeah, Charles McKay said, uh, you know, after the madness, people come to their senses right. slowly, one right. by one. It's not a, it's not a sudden thing, mm. and you have to reach a critical mass before, yeah, and or or some great demonstration. Now, our sapphire experiment, I think, is that scientific demonstration. I'm just hoping that we. It's a very difficult thing to manage. It's almost like uh, you need to have a strategy for how do you let this idea um, be released in such a way that it won't stop everything we're doing and have us, you know, <laughs> dealt with. Yeah, you guys need your own media departments. 
Well, in some senses, we have with the Thunderbolts uh, project and also our annual um, meetings, uh, conferences, and the huge amount of material we already have on the web. Mm. Uh, this is a kind of insurance policy from my point of view. Right, right. Uh, we don't want these ideas lost, so we sort of, <laughs> with hundreds of hours of videos, we have um, 150,000 subscribers and over 13 million, probably 14 wow. million views of our videos. So, uh, so, so, so it's bound to so young people, uh, students, people who are, have not got their paradigm crystallized. Yeah. Yes. Fossilized I, I get yet. emails from I get emails from students and even PhD students mm. asking where they can study the electric universe. And unfortunately, uh, have you have you considered putting up schools? We did uh, so many years ago. I'm I'm glad we didn't because uh, I'm <laughs> I'm allowing my intuition to guide me mm-hmm. because I have no idea how it's going to work. I just do what I feel is necessary at any given moment to try and um, establish more and more people understanding where, what we're doing and um, understanding that there is a different answer which has hope for the future, something that Big Bang Theory offers none of, uh, and also an understanding which brings us together instead of separates us. Mm. But, but couldn't you get people, uh, who, who controls uh, what can be published, what can be peer-reviewed? Uh, th- that has to be, uh, I mean, th- it's human beings, right? Uh, yeah. Is it possible to get someone into those my, positions? Well, let me, let me tell you what intuitively I think there. And my v- feeling has been that if we can convince somebody to um, bankroll a, an IMAX movie of mm-hmm. what happened, showing all of the archetypal symbols as they were when they were observed mm. people will it'll tie the subconscious it'll bring the subconscious to consciousness and people will suddenly begin to understand that the divisions we create the um, problems we face are universal and uh, we have to recognize that we are all connected both individual to individual but us to the earth and that we must take care of it and our future relies on us acting uh, rationally uh, understanding our terrible past and healing from it Mm. and we can't heal from it until we have these understandings Mm. but but can't you get some of your people into positions where they can execute some influence like what's peer-reviewed what's No, no. In fact, long ago, I decided that it was not worth playing academia silly games because no matter how hard you try, they will shift the goalposts. They they control the game. They make up the rules. Um, So it's a waste of time playing those games. So academia functions to a large degree how... Because we can all see it displayed in public discourse when it comes to the pseudo-skepticists, the sceptics. That's right, <laughs> yes. Yeah, that's right. So it's the same way uh, academia works as they work? Uh, well, the pseudo-skeptics are more or less the front line, uh, as long as they're uh, doing their job uh, as far as the um, establishment's concerned. They, their first thing they will do is ignore us. And according to uh, educational psychologists here in Australia who've developed a very excellent school system to help 
students break, break bad habits, um, has pointed out the first be, first behavior when you're confronted with an alternative idea that uh, goes against your habitual ideas is to uh, deny it. And this is why you see the word denial creeping up yeah, in uh, yeah, in science, particularly by pseudo-skeptics. Yeah. Uh, you're a denier if you don't believe what we believe in. Well, this is just religious nonsense. Yeah. Uh, because to say you deny something means you're the only one who knows the truth, which is uh, a, a claim that no one can make. It's completely unscientific because it implies uh, belief, yeah, faith. That's right. And um, so the first thing that uh, the establishment will do is to deny anything we say or anything we try to publish um, in a, an accepted journal. The next thing is that this blindness is... Uh, created by the um, the brain, the way our brain works, uh, acts to instantly forget what it is that d d doesn't fit their pattern. Mm. Now, you can see this even with their standard research because often you'll see, oh, we're surprised to discover so-and-so, <clears throat> and yet I know that they've already discovered it 20 years ago yeah, yeah. and it was a surprise then and they haven't dealt with it. <laughs> yeah. So so it, it's it's like in, you can see it in political discourse too. You ask your opponent a question, yeah. the question is answered, and then they completely ignore it like That's right. they didn't answer <laughs> that and they move on with... Uh, yeah, so, so, so it's not a communication, it's not a transference of information. Yeah, the problem uh, occurs in science as well that... Mm. Uh, a politician will not answer the question. They'll answer the, the question that they would like to answer. And uh, this is what happened when I was at university. You know, mm. that what you would get is a rehash of what you already know they believe, uh, but it's not answering your question. Right. Mm. I get your point. It's very valid. And another phenomenon is that you answer the question and they behave as you never answered it. <laughs> They're not addressing what you actually said. Yes. I guess that's going on a lot here because if you're fact-based uh, and, and let's say you – because the first phase is ignore you, reject you, deny you. Yes. yes. The second phase is to fight you. That's right. But they can't put up a fair fight because then they would lose, right? So they have yeah. to – they have to. I've seen this in, in so-called skeptics. They they just ignore. They just pretend uh, you didn't address it, and they move on with the rhetorics. Oh yes, as yes. if you never said it, right? Yes, I had that. You know what uh, I mean? Yeah, I, I used to uh, deal with skeptics by uh, one in particular who had access to NASA's libraries, and all he would do is do a, a library search on papers <laughs> that uh, referred to the same topic, and then just hit me with a whole raft of those. Mm -hmm. uh, in his uh, blog and say, you know, here's all these people who would say otherwise. And I go and look at the papers and I find out, no, they didn't say otherwise. Uh, often they were puzzled and uh, said so. Right. And even if they did, that would just be appealed to authority. Of course, yes. Which isn't an argument at all. No. And um, one of the difficulties you have then talking to um, people who think they have the answers these days which is often university students who think that now yeah. they've gone to university, they, <laughs> yeah. they know it all. They know everything. Um, you can see uh, in their eyes that when you say something to them, that they're already just piling up objections yeah. without actually listening to you. Exactly. So at some point they, they stop listening and you're wasting your time. Yeah. That was my point about the question. Yeah. that And that mm. is uh, what you see in uh, religious fanatics too. Of course. Yes, they know the truth, and you don't. Mm. 
and and so we have a system that breeds new uh, gatekeepers basically to take well, over the system that uh, science operates now is big science where it's institutionalized and it depends on government funding right that is that works absolutely to kill innovation mm-hmm because then you have uh, people climbing over each other to try and get the money. Uh, in fact, this is one of the problems that academics face these days. If they get to a position, uh, professorship, and that one of their, they spend more time trying to get funding than they do actually thinking about their research. Just like politicians, they can't do anything because they have to campaign all the time and get more money to maintain yeah. their position. Or they have to be have to behave as their party whips or whatever. Yeah. You know, You have to toe the line. It really. So you would say that um, economic cons because back in the 60s there was a lot of money uh, going around, but now it's uh, the profit aspect of science has taken over, haven't it? Oh yes, yes, and the universities have become businesses rather than yeah. um, you know research uh, schools and uh, ones who are actually doing something useful. In fact. There was a study done a few years ago uh, which looked at government-funded research compared with um, privately funded research, you know, like the Bell Labs and people like that, IBM and so on Mm. in America. And uh, they said that the return on publicly funded research is hard to demonstrate compared with that of private industry because in private industry you have competition of ideas. in uh, government-funded research, the people who control the politics control the purse yeah. strings, and only that research that uh, conforms to what the juggernaut of um, institutionalized science uh, recognizes gets done. So there's only money spent on big bang research, none on plasma ecology, uh, plasmology. Yeah, but I can I can see another problem here, and that's that in I mean I'm all for private research, but if you're talking about uh, corporations, it's pretty easy. Here's the money. Here's what we want to achieve. Now you go do it. That means yes. that that means that it's not like it's not like an open you know explore and find the truth. It's more like get to the goal of our um, agenda. Of course. And if you can't, we'll replace you with someone who can. So the traditional... There is some of that, but yeah, but also um, places like Bell Research and um, and IBM, I know, did fundamental research at the same time. Okay. They didn't, dis- they didn't dismiss it. Yeah, because the traditional argument is that if you have a publicly funded uh, science, then they will, you know, they will not have these specific agendas reach this goal. Mm. It's more like, oh, we can sit here and discover what, and that's what people believe is going on. They think that scientific institutions and universities and stuff are just a lot of people searching for truth. (laughs) Yes. I mean, it's like a hundred old notion that is still there. Yeah. Yeah, so the, the, the difficulty you have is that um, institutionalized science, as it is now, is like trying to turn around the Titanic to avoid an iceberg. Mm-hmm. Um, good luck. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, this is why, uh, in the past, a, um, a chap I knew, quite a good friend when I was working in England, um, pointed out that in the past, most of the big breakthroughs in science came from what he called eminent outsiders. Mm. And amongst those eminent outsiders was uh, Faraday. Um, so we d- we 
that kind of thing can't happen these days. Mm. A lot of the, the big names in the past wouldn't have got past the peer review system no. simply because they didn't have the credentials. Well, these days the credentials can actually work against you. Yeah. No, that's so true. The, the, the age of the mad scientist, quote-unquote, the free researching uh, truth seeker, it's gone. But it's, the image is lingering on in public consciousness. That's why <laughs> yes. people are supporting the institutions as a Catholic would support the church. Yeah. And that's being propagated in movies and media. And, and, and I say science journalism is, is, uh, is a big culprit here. Oh. It's, it's nothing but a propaganda tool by dimwits who doesn't even understand yes. what they're reporting, is my view. Of course. In fact, uh, you'll often see that um, a NASA report is just printed verbatim in the newspapers. Mm. There is no critical aspect to modern science. In fact, uh, Dr. Halton Arp, who I mentioned earlier, the modern day Galileo, said investigative journalism in science is dead, which is a huge mistake. You know, if science, to the extent that science is an art, where are the art critics? Yeah, good point. Are you familiar with, um, oh, what's his name again? He suggested a science court. Oh, yes. Uh, Tommy Gold, Professor Tommy Gold. No, it's not him He's I'm referring to, but but go on. Oh, well, he, he was one who actually published uh, his views on it. Now, he was a, one of these gadfly scientists who kept pricking, you know, the ideas of the st the standard ideas and offering uh, alternative solutions and remarkably often he was right but he said there should be a science court uh, because if scientists had to present their ideas and ask for funding in front of a court of not their immediate peers but people who had scientific training but not in the discipline he's talking about mm -hmm. um they would fail cross-examination in any court. And I agree with that, absolutely. I mean, if you put Einstein, if you could put Einstein in the dock, I'd be asking him to define mass and energy to begin with and then ask him how he could do away with the ether and yet still have uh, wave motion mm. between a source and a, a sink. Right. I'm trying to remember who it was. He's uh, old... Um uh, emeritus, he, he suggested that too, science court, in order to solve mm. uh, the problem of science g going astray. That's right. He's been a, a vocal critic in many things like uh, the AIDS, AHV debate. <clears throat> um, oh, yes, yes. Oh, but I, I, I can't really recall his name now. He's so famous, uh, <laughs> huge dissident. In fact, yeah. I want to interview him. Yeah. But, That's one of but, the but, so you believe you mentioned AIDS and that and that kind of biological research. The scientific yeah. magazines now are full of papers to do with biochemistry and so on. And it's been a study was done a short while ago, which pointed out that most of those papers, there's no one's replicated them to test them, mm. and uh, most of them would uh, actually cannot be replicated. In other words the papers are wrong and yet they are referred to by others as being the source of, uh, you know, part of their research as well. Yeah. Yeah. So there was it, this, uh, it, it, yeah, sorry, go on. Yeah. It becomes a kind of a vicious, uh, spiral downwards uh, yeah. when that happens. And, uh, what people don't recognize is that the same thing is happening in the physical sciences. Right. 
Yeah, that's the problem. We don't realize that's happening in physical too. We we, we do know it go mm. it goes on in the soft. It usually only takes me a few minutes to uh, scan a work and say right, nope. Uh, right, right, right. <laughs> yeah, I know what you mean. Mm. But my immediate skepticism to a science court, although I I, I get the point and I do, sub- it, it will probably be an improvement. But I I see the dangers of, you know, someone has to be judges and juries and that's those someone has to be human beings and then we're back right. to the corruption well, that, yeah, that is a problem yes and mm. as one um, i think it was will rogers uh, said common sense is very uncommon uh, <laughs> and it yeah. requires common sense uh, yeah. knowledge of um, logic you know and uh, and also the methods of argument yeah, and the ability to recognize facts. I mean, uh, you would have people who would be ideologically biased. Oh, yes. uh, some would have vested interests, material interests. Some would be prone to corruption. But uh, but some but of the, the best, some of the best people you could get would be engineers because they yeah. have to look at something and say, yes, I think that would work. Yep, <laughs> I, I agree. That is uh, an advantage. But on the other hand, it's much better than today because today it's it's like a secret. Is like a sect, a secret society sitting there and determining oh, yes, it. Yes, yes. You know, Helden Arp called them uh, equivalent to the medieval guilds. Yeah. Or, or maybe even mafia, we could call them. Or mafia, yeah, they've mm. been called that too. Mm-hmm. Mm. Mm-hmm. Well, <clears throat> Let's hope that um, uh, you can make uh, your movement can create a push. It, it, it's correct to call it a movement, right? More than an organization, the EU. <laughs> yes, my my dear colleague and friend David Talbot said to me a few years ago. He said, "Do you realise we've become a movement?" <laughs> <laughs> and I hope we can contribute to that. You did mention a UK conference. What's yes. that? Uh, at Bath University, I think it's the July six and seven. Uh, you can find information and links to it from our thunderbolts.info website. Mm. I hope we can get this show out before that. We will get it out to our subscribers, mm. but to the public, I'll try just so that you, they can get that little yeah. shout out. Yeah. Now, the other, uh, the other thing, the other thing yeah. I should mention is that uh, Gaia TV in America had me over and I did two days of interviews with them and they've made a television series which is coming out episode by episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're up to episode five out of seven and uh, Gaia.com, uh, you can find the Electric Universe on there. They've done quite a good job. Uh, of course, if I'd been involved in doing the um, animations, I would have um, uh, made them more accurate. But however... The impact, I think, is very good. Hmm, interesting. What about, um, I do know you have a YouTube channel. I've, I'm subscribing to yes. that. So uh, that's on the thunderbolts.info. Uh, there's a YouTube channel with our space news. Uh, there's a daily uh, blog during the week uh, by Stephen Smith, who uh, has done an excellent job. Uh, writing up news items from the Electric Universe point of view, and uh, I do many of the space news on that um, at that website too. Mm. You obviously have uh, um, good equipment. You used to be. <laughs> uh, you, you, do you do recordings yourself, or you just for interviews? Uh, I do recordings of the space news and um, send the sound file to uh, to America where. Uh, David Talbot's son puts together the space news and he and I 
lately have been doing it in interview style. But um, I've always been interested in sound and film and whatnot. In fact, I was an amateur filmmaker. That was my hobby. Oh, okay. And uh, so I've got a Rode, a Rode microphone, which um, they're, they're very good mics. Right. So do you have your own website? I do, but it's more of a historical collection now because I, most of my work is devoted to the thunderbolts.info website. But mine is um, holoscience, H-O-L-O science. Dot com. As in holism? As in holism, yes. In other words, uh, it's the holistic cosmology. Mm-hmm. I'm a supporter of that. So, uh, But the main site to go to if people want to... Thunderbolts.info. That has all of the up-to-date uh, research. It has videos of our conferences and, um, and other contributors uh, on the space news and so on. Uh, so is that the one organized by David Talbot? Yes, that was uh, initiated by David. Mm. And and he's uh, into myths and stuff, mythology. Is that his forte? He's a comparative mythologist. Uh, there was uh, three in particular, uh, Dwaru Cardona, a Canadian, and um, Ev Cochran, another American from Iowa. Mm. I think I'll have one of those chaps on to to discuss the mythical aspect of all this because that's mm. pretty interesting. Yeah, uh, and and that's probably as subversive to religions as the electrical universe is to science. <laughs> well, when you think about it, uh, religion is not an answer to anything. It's the biggest question facing mankind. Uh, it should be. What gave rise to religions, yeah. and what were they about? What was it? What is, was that myth-making epoch about? Because right. it's never occurred since. Right. Um, do you have uh, published any books? Uh, yes, David Talbot and I published uh, Thunderbolts of the Gods and um, the Electric Universe. Uh, we shared. We've shared everything. This is once again my idea of um, shared responsibility for uh, all of this work. And uh, I recognized in him a real dynamo in trying to um, get other people involved. He was much better at it than I am. Mm. Um, Yeah, those are the two books. I'm actually in the process of uh, organizing a a new volume of The Electric Universe, which brings everything up to date, because it's only in recent years that I've managed to figure out gravity. Uh, it's always been the puzzle, big puzzle at the top of the list. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think I finally got it just a couple of years ago in one of my uh, presentations at the 2017 um, annual conference. I presented uh, the long path to understanding gravity. Mm. Wow. Well, that, uh, you mentioned you also done some papers in the past. It, Yes, the IEEE uh, journal, uh, and the topic was um, the electrical nature of supernova 1987A. Uh, The books, by the way, uh, can be found through the Thunderbolts website, and it goes to a website of uh, one of our volunteers, um, and it's called Stick Man on Stone. And when you read Thunderbolts of the Gods, you'll recognize what that means. prehistoric images of petroglyphs and so on, the North American Indian uh, rock carvings and so on are all recognizable plasma forms. It gives an idea of the antiquity of the events. 
so stick man on stone if if, uh, if you just google that you'll find uh, the repository of books and other items which uh, people might find interesting or useful so your your studies are publicly available yes mm. yes uh, well, you can go to amazon but I'd, i mean they just charge a fortune because we found that they uh, rip publishers like ours off mm. uh, and so of course fact, i mean someone has to make uh, jeff bezos rich so yeah yes that's right yeah uh, t- the way we do things these days is it just has to change but yeah. um yeah, i think they're 27 dollars us uh which is quite reasonable considering they're uh, big full color mm. uh, books okay hey i just recall the name of the science course guy this is dr henry bauer you probably know about him. oh yes yes yeah. yes i know him yeah henry bauer mm. Mm. excellent guy yes he, he knows he knows us too oh okay <laughs> is he positive yes in a sense uh, he's looking at more general problems of uh science and um skepticism and how science operates and and he's also a proponent of the interdisciplinary requirement Yes, yes. I think anyone with any common sense can <laughs> see that this must be so. Yeah. <laughs> specialism, specialism just doesn't work in this case. No. Well, it, it, no, not in, the, not in terms of coming up with a paradigm valid for all, but it works yes. if you're going to develop some gizmo. Uh, I, <laughs> you it, see what I mean? <laughs> well, that, that's applied science, yeah, and yeah. technology. And uh, science hides behind technological advancement, which happens whether you understand what you're doing or not. Exactly. And that's so annoying because those uh, scientism guys, uh, their big argument uh, always, if you push them, it always ends up in, well, we developed uh, t- we developed computers and cars. So in, that's right. in your universe, that wouldn't exist. That's like, that's supposed <laughs> to prove their dogmatism. And yet, <laughs> it's ludicrous. And yet somebody's gone back and had a look and found that um, uh, transistors were developed before quantum theory. Right. Uh, they've right. already uh, found semiconductor uh, activity uh, in crystal sets, for instance, before uh, quantum theory. And uh, do you know um, how how long far back it goes? Well, the breakthroughs of the Faradays and Gausses and Webers and all the electro or the electromagnetic theorists mm. of the 19th century laid the basis for the 20th century technology. There's nothing about the Large Hadron Collider that I can think of that relies on anything other than um, the electromagnetic laws that were formulated in the 19th century. So is, is that whole project a waste of time? Absolutely. Why would you think that um, uh, the mass of an object has anything to do with some imaginary particle, which forms a kind of treacle? I mean, this is just... <laughs> <laughs> the language but, but but i think uh, yeah, but i think they are claiming they have succeeded in verifying no they haven't find no. no the whole premise under which that thing was built is uh, invalid in the electric universe theory can, can what they're playing with be dangerous uh, only for themselves um <laughs> yeah, black holes yeah but i mean like can they uh, launch uh, no. forces out of a no 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 the energies involved out in the universe are far greater than anything they can do okay all they can do is waste money right 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 okay well that's good to know because i was a bit spooked when someone talked about that they may uh, be able to create black holes and whatnot yes well black holes are a figment of uh, a fevered Einsteinian imagination. (laughs) (laughs) 
I guess uh, it just goes to show that language is more important than we think because... Oh, yes, yeah? yes, absolutely. And, and no wonder it was one of the big disciplines in, in antiquity, you know? Yes. People had to study stuff like rhetorics and... Yes, that's right. And that's lost today. Well, Wall, it was an absolute pleasure conversing with you. I can see why people nagged us for so long to get you on. <laughs> well, thanks, Al. I, I enjoyed the uh, chat with you too. That's good to know. So that means that um, if I invite you back, you'll come? Sure. Mm. Mm, that's great. Hey, I forgot to ask you one question, a quick one. Yeah, okay. Because you mentioned a Van Allen belt. Yes. Now, there's people claiming that that people can't really pass it because we will be fried. Uh, what's mm. the, what is the Van Allen belt in your understanding? Uh, in a magnetized um, body like the Earth, uh, when it is involved in an electric circuit uh, and the current is being carried through a rarefied gas, which you could say is uh, the space between us and the sun, the solar wind, mm-hmm. Um, it will form ring currents around that body uh, equatorially and um, equatorially in relation to the magnetic field. And, of course, uh, that ring current holds energy, and the energy is in the motion of those charged particles, which can reach speeds which are not... um, which are inimical to uh, any long-term existence for living... uh, Systems. In other words, uh, astronauts on their way to the moon uh, don't want to uh, linger in those regions too long because you can have, um, you know, electrons and protons at millions of electron volts. Perhaps. So they get fried. And eventually, yes, yeah. So it's the kind of environment you don't want to stay for any length of time. But it's fully possible to pass it uh, quickly. Oh, yes, yes, yeah. You just get a few x-rays worth of uh, uh, radiation dose on the way through, that's all. Mm, I see. In fact, uh, the trip to the moon and back, those guys must have had a lifetime's worth of uh, chest x-rays. Hmm. But do we know if any of these uh, astronauts who who went out to space has died of cancer and stuff like that? I don't know. Uh, I don't know if anyone has done... uh, a study, I'm sure they've been followed up medically, mm. but uh, I, I haven't read any reports of that. I mean, people who work with the one, the, the one thing it does change is their attitude towards life on Earth. Those who have left Earth suddenly realize what it means to be separated from the Earth. Right. Mm. But, well, even people working in dentist's uh, office gets cancer. There was a big um, fight here in our, our country about technicians or whatever they call those who, who yes. do the x-rays. Um, yes. And they try to get their uh, rights. There's a lot to be lot to be learned yet by biologists about uh, the electrical nature of life. Mm. Uh, when they do so, they may change their mind about some things they do. Mm. So that's that's what you guys have got going for you is that even if even if they killed off all of you, mm. <laughs> it would fight its way back <laughs> as long as we're studying reality, right? That's right. Yes. Yeah. Yes. The truth will out. Yeah. Exactly. Okay, Wall. I think that's uh, sums it up. Anything you want to add? 
Nope, I think I need a toilet break. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, let's let the body get its due. Yeah. Okay, I'll, thanks a lot. I'll send you a link when it's out and you can promote it to your folks. Okay, thanks. Okay, bye bye. Bye. And that's our first program on the electrical universe. But like I said in the show, we will make a follow-up where we will go into the catastrophism. I, I feel that deserves its own show. It's a huge subject in itself. And uh, I wouldn't do that uh, any service or the topic of today if we crammed all of that into one show. So look out for a future show with Wall. I'm going to end this program today reading you some relevant quotes. But first, let me tell you a true story. We've lost 8,000, I think it was, subscribers, uh, but not (laughs) in a natural way. You probably heard the rumors. uh, People are being unsubscribed from independent channels and force subscribed to mainstream channels. So... Even even the mainstream independent channels are onto this bad plot now. Uh, it's simply a matter of the legacy media singling out YouTube as a survival for them, they think, because papers and TV channels are losing so much Customers, viewers, listeners that online has surpassed them long ago. And the advertisement industry has caught up to it, but have been reluctant to adjust to the new media because who owns the advertisement companies? Basically the same who run the old stream media. So what they did, they bought, well, They already controlled Google, and Google has bought YouTube. So it's all a transitioning. They can't just boot everything out at once. Uh, Then they would lose all the viewers, listeners, you guys. Because at the end of the day, it's a battle about your attention. So they have slowly, and I've been onto this uh, as my regular listeners knows. I've been talking about this before it was common knowledge, but now it's out there in the open. Everybody can see. So we've had several apocalypse. We've had several rewritings of the algorithm. We've had this increasing censorship. You know, first they came for Alex Jones, etc. And we've even had a rewriting of the copyright laws. If you look into that, we may have a show on it, but there's already good shows about it. That whole scheme is uh, hand in glove to facilitate this new process. They won't be happy until all free users are refrained from using the web. But they want the web to be like a huge big commercial mcdonald's amazon you know only for the consumer just to purchase just to consume but not to create that's the big problem uh, that social media has illustrated since it it took off and uh, there is not a matter of fair fight it's not a matter of free market or, or real competition it's a matter of rigging the game 
and forcing people out. And one of those <laughs> details in that big uh, process is for you guys to be unsubscribed and then subscribed. And I mean, of course, not just our channel. It happens. Uh, across the board and no it's not a plot against the right wing as many people think it's basically independent versus corporate so it doesn't matter where on the political specter you are left right it doesn't matter if you are go against their main holy cows like for for example try having a anti-war show and see where that brings you it doesn't matter your, your perspective as long as it goes against the huge industry and that's that's how it is across the board some topics hasn't been touched yet like it seems that ufos and stuff like that can be covered but it's obviously just a matter of time until they crack down on all kinds of independent non-mainstream so for our own sake we see that spiritual shows so far are not being demonetized but uh, and i'm gonna be curious to see how they will treat this this is like a scientific topic so maybe it will pass yeah, although it's system critical but um, at the end of the day the real power remains with you guys so make sure that you are subscribed to us and also click the bell as everybody says you probably heard every channel out say this but do it check it uh, we would hate to lose uh, more and our growth is stifled almost so uh, they don't give exposure to independent media as they used to and so uh, and if you take a look at the right side of our youtube video it used to be like lots of Forum Borealis shows recommended at our own shows. Now it's like one and the rest is divided between mainstream and the rest topic related. So if you want to support us, it's not just about donating and sharing our shows. Sharing goes a long way, by the way, to influence the algorithm. But it's also important that you subscribe and click the bell so you stay in the loop i don't know why they distinguish between subscribing and clicking the bell because obviously if you subscribe you want to be updated right but no if you subscribe without clicking the bell you won't get updates so uh, check that do that and help us grow and the more subscribers we have the better we will be faring and the more exposure we will get now to the quotes the brilliant genius that was Michael Faraday said, Lectures which really teach will never be popular. Lectures which are popular will never really teach. And he said, I happen to have discovered a direct relation between magnetism and light, also electricity and light, and the field it opens is so large and I think rich. Another brilliant fellow, William John Macquan Rankine, or Rankine, I'm not sure how you pronounce that name in English, said, The words theory and practice are contrasted and placed in opposition as denoting two mutually conflicting and mutually inconsisting ideas. This fallacy, based on a double system of natural laws, retarded for centuries the development of physical science, notably mechanics. And he said, 
discrepancy between theory and practice, which in sound, physical and mechanical science is a delusion, has a real existence in the minds of men, and that fallacy, through rejected by the judgment, continues to exert an influence over their acts. Edward Leedskalnin, another name I probably mangled there, you know, the guy behind the coral castle phenomenon, he said, You know, we receive an education in the schools from books. All those books that people became educated from 25 years ago are wrong now. And those that are good now will be wrong again 25 years from now. So if they are wrong then, they are also wrong now. And the one who is educated from the wrong books is not educated. He is misled. All books that are written are wrong. The one who is not educated cannot write a book, and the one who is educated is really not educated, but he is misled, and the one who is misled cannot write a book which is correct. And he said, magnetic current is the same as electric current. Current is actually the wrong expression. Really, it is not one current. There are two currents. One current is composed of north pole individual magnets in concentrated streams, and the other is composed of south pole individual magnets in concentrated streams. And they are running one stream against the other stream in whirling screw-like fashion and with high speed. He also said, the earth itself is a great big magnet. And speaking of magnets, Victor Schauberger said, the majority believes that everything hard to comprehend must be very profound. This is incorrect. What is hard to understand is what is immature and clear and often false. The highest wisdom is simple and passes through the brain directly into the heart. Similar genius, Walter Russell, said, The electric energy which motivates us is not within our bodies at all. It is a part of the universal supply which flows through us from the universal source with an intensity set by our desires and our will. And finally, Nikola Tesla said, Einstein's relativity work is a magnificent mathematical garb which fascinates, dazzles and makes people blind to the underlying errors. The theory is like a beggar clothed in purple whom ignorant people take for a king. Its exponents are brilliant men, but they are metaphysicists rather than scientists. And, he said, Today's scientists have substituted mathematics for experiments and they wander off through equation after equation and eventually build a structure which has no relation to reality. And that's it for today. Thank you for the attention and your support. Your host has been Al, remaining yours sincerely. Until next time, be seeing you.
number one.